our figures of how many people are on the street were, were taken from surveys before uh, COVID, and we came up with a figure of 14,000 people on, on the streets of Cape Town. I think it's much higher than that now, but we don't know. Post is saying that we're spending about you know, 744 million mm. a year on homelessness. In the grand scheme of things, homeless people are sort of, you know, are not, I'm not completely, you know, absorbing homeless people of you know, personal responsibility, but there are broader structural factors, um, you know, changes in society that are driving, driving homelessness. So, um, so it's a matter of, you know, striking a balance between, you know, um, the individual factors that contributes to homelessness and the broader structural factors, mm. you know, institutional factors. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ryan Fortune, and I'm your host this evening for the sixth episode of the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues on Bush Radio 89.5 FM. Tonight, as always, we take a deep dive into a particular topic that is, uh, we believe, of great public interest. Uh, we've spoken over the past few weeks about climate change. We've spoken about new trends in higher learning. Uh, we've spoken about several topics that have uh, generated conversation and discussion uh, among ourselves and our readers, uh, our listeners on the radio, yourselves. Uh, tonight, the topic that we are looking at is the issue of homelessness. Homelessness in South Africa in general and in Cape Town in particular. Um, it's a thorny topic. It has uh, been, it's always in the news. And uh, it was a topic of uh, electioneering, I believe, over the last uh, few weeks, uh, the local government elections. Uh, what we do is uh, we have three or four uh, guests in the studio with us uh, to help us understand what the issue is. And uh, this evening we have with us in the studio, uh, our three guests this evening are uh, Jean-Dre Knighton-Fitt, who is the director of an organization called U-Turn, which uh, works with homeless people in Cape Town and I believe in other parts of the country. And uh, they uh, uh, rehabilitate. They've got several programs that run that basically uh, assists the homeless pe people to get their lives back on track, um, get employed, re-engineer uh, re re their lives and, and sort of come back from uh, the, the place of homelessness. Um, and uh, he's going to be in the studio with us for the next two hours and help, helping us to understand some of the work that they've been doing and also uh, some of the facts and figures around uh, homelessness in South Africa. Often we, we talk about things uh, without having the, 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 the hard facts to hand. And so one of the issues that we like to do is we like to look at the numbers and figures so that we can really get a, a, a sense of where things are at and, and what might be done uh, to, to bring those numbers down. Uh, also in the studio with us, we have Mali Hole. Uh, Sikunga, Sikunga, uh, who is uh, a, a U-turn graduate. He's graduated from uh, one of their programs. Uh, uh, how recently, Mali? Ola? That's a while. It's a while. A while it's a while back. back. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he's now a lawyer, I believe, a, a commercial lawyer. Not really. He's, um, he's doing law graduate. Law graduate. Uh, I've been. I've worked for over five years in the in the legal fraternity. Okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, to be precise, I'm um, looking for a, for a sport in, as a candidate attorney, not qualified as a lawyer. Okay, okay. 
Fantastic. And uh, also in the studio joining us and helping me to uh, facilitate uh, this conversation is uh, Leo Mapiri. It's Mapira. Mapira. Yes. Mapira, who is at uh, Cornerstone. He is a lecturer in uh, social sociology and community development. And he's going to be helping us uh, ask the right questions. Just to maybe get going, I want to start with uh, Jean Ray. Um, just to maybe introduce U-Turn and the, and, and the work that, that U-Turn has been doing for how long you, the organization has been going and that, that sort of thing, Shandra. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, um, the organization is 24 years old uh, this year, so good innings so far. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the work of U-Turn really focuses around um, the creating pathways out of homelessness, so really the, re- the re- rehabilitation journey of people who find themselves trapped in homelessness and our focus therefore is not just shelter it's not just a blanket or or cup of soup it's really a focus on working with the individual until they are stable sober employed and housed for the long term Mm -hmm. so uh, a more uh, holistic approach is is one one would call it a more sort of a whole person approach to, to the issue. Yes, absolutely. We, yeah. we see it's not just about short-term solutions. It's really uh, homelessness, uh, and we'll, we'll delve into it, but it's a highly complex issue. Uh, mm. People who find themselves on the street generally are very, very broken people, and there's no quick fix. It's a long journey. So we tend to work with people for about an average of two years mm-hmm. until they're really in a stable space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, yeah, so um, we've seen that uh, the, the topic of homelessness has uh, been uh, much in the news lately, uh, particularly around uh, the, the city of Cape Town's uh, approach to the, pro- the, the issue, um, where uh, I believe uh, the, 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 the party in charge of things really has wanted to almost criminalize, cr- criminalize home- homelessness and, and get people to basically report on, on homeless people and lay charges. And so they, they, the, the, the approach is really one which is quite punitive uh, against people who uh, really, uh, as you say, are broken people. They, they, no one really wants to be homeless, but they find themselves in that situation and, and now you have a city which is turning them into cr- criminals. And I believe that there's a court case going on uh, at this present moment uh, challenging uh, the, 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 the bylaws and the city has come back and said, well, they're, they're, they're going to counter, present a counter challenge to, to the thing. So, I mean, what, what we're really seeing uh, is, a, is a situation where um, the, the, the approach is not, uh, doesn't seem to be one uh, with, that has any sort of measure of uh, humanity or even Ubuntu, uh, when one, if one were to call it that. Would, would, would you agree with that, uh, genre? Um, yes and no. Mm. Um, We've talked about the schizophrenic approach of the city. Mm. On the one hand, it's the one city in South Africa that really puts serious resources into um, helping the homeless. On the other hand, it has the harshest laws and responses. So it's kind of, you know, where are you, <laughs> the city mm. of Cape Town, mm. in terms of this issue? And I think part of our challenge to the city is, as they've revised the bylaw and, and accepted that new bylaw, it now makes it acceptable to arrest a person for being homeless. On the other hand, it also says there has to be a reasonable offer of a altern- uh, alternative offer of, of accommodation. accommodation yeah. So there's two sides to it. There's a potentially a good side, 
And on the other hand, there's there's a rather sinister side. So we've we've challenged the city to say, what does that mean? Mm. And really, what are you going to do about it? So yes, I wouldn't say the city of Cape Town as a whole is against homelessness or trying to make it difficult, but there are certain elements, security forces, etc., the rotten apples sometimes maybe in in that um, element mm. of um, of security that that really do use the power they have to make the lives of people miserable. Mm, 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 so yes, both and. Mm, mm. Um, so sort of, um, it seems to, to be the, them taking the sort of the carrot and the stick approach. Uh, would, would you call, call it that? Yes, yes, I think mm. so. And some elements, some, you know, you've got your um, social development side of the mm. city that's working hard, working hard with NGOs. It's not the same people. Usually mm. it's not the same people who have the stick mm. as the ones who have the carrot. But um, the challenge is also to get a unified approach, which mm. is developmental, rehabilitative, not punitive, um, or certainly limits the, the punitive response. Mm, mm, mm. And tell me, have you? what is the level of engagement w- with people who are service providers in the space with the city? I mean, do they do they listen to to you guys? Are there sort of uh, structured engagements where you where you demonstrate that the maybe well, this is a better way to do things, maybe a more sustainable long term solution to to the problem, which doesn't seem to be going away. It seems to be be just getting worse, you know. So. Yeah, yes, there are there are some structured engagements. Mm-hmm. Speaking on behalf of the NGO sector, I think there are times that we feel unheard. We're the ones, you know, with our we're in the trenches, mm. and sometimes, uh, well, often city officials are not really hearing, or there's there's the desire of the city to sort of show that they can sort it all out. So the whole Strandfontein uh, debacle. You know, mm. is is there in that space where the city steps in with very little? I mean, this this is now becoming distant history. It was last year. Hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the um, they stepped in with with very little engagement with the NGO community, um, and and those organisations that work with the homeless were by and large kept out of that space. Mm. Whole thing was a disaster. There should have been more consultation. Um, so there's been limited success, I think, with with the um, with the safe spaces like Kulumborg and other the other safe spaces. Yeah. Uh, again, we would challenge and say, listen to us NGOs that are in the space. Take a proper rehabilitative approach. Don't don't just respond and then you know pat yourself on the back and say mm. we did something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a massive crisis, and yes, it's increasing. Um, mm. Our figures of how many people are on the street were, were taken from surveys before uh, COVID and we came up with a figure of 14,000 people on, on the streets of Cape Town. Mm. I think it's much higher than that now, but we don't know. Mm. Um, when you say, so you say 14,000 uh, people on the, living on the streets, um, I mean, uh, sort of just from a sort of an outsider perspective, someone who's not really engaging in the space, but someone who lives in the city, it does seem to have increased remarkably over the over the last year, year or so. Uh, everywhere there are tented camps and people, you know, living in the in, in the in the bushes or in the, uh, you know, everywhere. So, yeah. so and and what what this, the city claims that there are. Uh, shelters. So the city's approach is generally like, if you're homeless, you must find a shelter and 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 go and find that. That's that's what the solution is really. What is the capacity in terms of shelter for people or that that sort of approach beds for? It's, yes, the total capacity is somewhere around two and a half to three thousand. Um, mm-hmm. The city's estimate of which is 
we say is grossly understated estimate of people living on the street is about six to seven thousand. Um, we're saying it's more than double that. Even if it is six thousand, yeah, there are there are only half as many shelter beds. But but part of the problem with the shelter system is the whole way it works, um, and. Very strict rules in shelters. You've got people mm. who are living on the street who have no rules at all. They live by no rules. Mm. Um, if they were to, if we were to move into a shelter, you or me, we would find those rules very restrictive. So what happens is somebody who's able to live on the street is told, "Go and live in a shelter," and they say, "I can't live like that. That I can't. I can't go with these rules," and and so they won't. Mm. Um, so there's also that element. There are so the city can say, "Well, we have probably 500 beds." available in shelters that are that are not used. That's mm. one of the reasons people mm. won't go. And another reason is very hard to get in. You've got to have COVID tests, you've got to you got mm. to be sober generally and a lot of people on the street are not sober. They can't get to that point. They're trying mm. to survive on the street and people use substances to just to get through the yeah, day. To so there's hope, all yeah. kinds of obstacles to the shelter system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, huge, huge challenge. Listeners, if you're at home and listening to the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues, uh, we're talking about the issue of homelessness, uh, really uh, honing in on the issue of Cape Town, but it is a, a massive problem around the country. I think there are figures that have uh, been mentioned of 200,000 people uh, living on the streets, homeless uh, across South Africa, which is a, a huge number of people. And uh, that in a country which is one of the... Well, I was seeing some figure the other day about the mineral wealth of South Africa. South Africa is a very wealthy country for some people. It's uh, and what we have is this this issue of inequality, profound inequality, and uh, you have uh, people, I guess, who who uh, are in positions of privilege, who don't, uh, who, who sort of look down on people who've fallen through the cracks and, and have a sort of a, a very harsh approach to that. And and, and, and really, um, I think I, I've lived in places where I, my neighbor, I've, I've heard us screaming at the homeless people across the road and, uh, you know, and in, in sort of very aggressive way. Um, but she's uh, seemingly cool and, and a very nice person to everyone else, you know. So you have this schizophrenia among people about about, about how they approach it. Um, I want to come to uh, Mali Hole right now. Um, Mali. Mali Hole. Mali Hole. I'm sorry, the quick clicks get me. Yes, but I, I'll get better. Um, yeah, so you obviously are a story of uh, redemption. You, 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 you were on the street at some point, uh, for, for a while and you've managed to, to come out of that and with the help of an organization like U-Turn. Can you uh, perhaps share a bit of your story with, uh, with our listeners, with us? Uh, so we get a sense of the, the more personal side of things. Yeah, yeah. My story is uh, my story is very long, uh, but I'll cut it as short as possible. Uh, um, I've been on this. I was on the street for for quite some time, I think. But it was an on and off situation. Um, mm-hmm. It started with 
with, with, with substance abuse, uh, but I wouldn't say that it was substance abuse that brought me to the streets. But mm. uh, okay, but it's, it's another element that brought me on the street. You know, mm. um, it was a more like a, a broken family kind of a, of, a, of an issue. You know, mm. um, I was living in the Cape Flats once and uh, couldn't stand the situation that I, I was in. The um, brothers who drink or every Friday to Sunday and then Monday there's no there's nothing to eat and I was not working and then at, at that time already I had I have been uh, addicted f- for around seven eight years since high school you know mm-hmm. but my addiction at that time was not as bad you mm. know yeah but then it gradually got to a point that no man yeah I'm, I'm getting depressed and um, I'm, 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 I would smoke uh, smoke everything that I could find and mm. uh, yeah yeah it's, it's, uh, ended up on the streets in Cape mm. Town for almost uh, let's say around for three years let's say mm-hmm. but it was an on, and on, on and off situation I would be on the street maybe for four to five months mm. uh, six, seven and then get into the shelter uh, yeah mm. uh, get into the shelter maybe for two to three months and then back on the streets again because of, of various issues mm. maybe I couldn't stand as as uh, my colleague has already said, um, Jean, Jean Ray, about the uh, rules, you know, mm-hmm. the rules are not accommodating because mm-hmm. those people are coming from such a uh, diverse uh, kind of like uh, environment where they would do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. So when you bring them and then you cage them, it's difficult mm-hmm. for them to kind of like uh, conform to the you rules, know, yeah. to get used to it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, they would go in there and then come out maybe within two weeks, three weeks. Some of them would maybe, you know, even less than that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was also some of those issues, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, yeah. And then I met uh, U10 was kind of look, looking for participants, and uh, mm-hmm. lucky enough, I got in the in the program. Um, I think it was two oh eight. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for a couple of months. Since then, I've been learning. I, I was taught a lot of things, you know, mm. to be independent, you know, to prioritize and, mm. yeah, to have uh, have goals and uh, you know, kind of cut your goals in a in a more achievable uh, way, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, life skills, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and mm-hmm. a lot of things, you know. From there, when I graduated, uh, yeah. Mm. Um, got sober. Mm. Yeah. You, 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 you had you finished school at the time, were you? No, at the time, uh, when I left, I, I did my metric in two o four. So when I left two o five uh, in the Eastern Cape, I uh, mm. came to Cape Town. But at the time, I was in the Overbeck area. Mm. Yeah, but then I, I, I was supposed to have written um, what they call this a supplementary exam. Mm. I couldn't do that. And then, yeah, um, got an opportunity when I was sober, I went to write in a, an exam, a couple of, of, of subjects, I think four to five, mm. if I'm not mistaken. And there yeah, I got my metric, and, uh, and then I was, from there, 2012, I applied, and uh, applied, I got accepted for um, an LLB, Bachelor of Laws, and mm. yeah. Since then, I never back. And uh, Amazing. yeah, during the course of, of that um uh, of my studies, mm. uh, I was lucky, um, not lucky to be said to say, I applied and I got a job as more mm. like uh, admin at uh, one of the 
uh, local uh, law firms, commercial mm-hmm. law firms called uh, it's called domestic attorneys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this was here that more at the time observatory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. park. I worked there for almost five years. Okay, yeah, almost okay. five years. Fantastic! Yeah. What an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're going to hear some more some more from uh, Mali Mali Hole a bit later, uh, and also our, our, also. Our, but I want to come now to uh, Leo. Uh, and talk a bit about uh, the work that uh, Leo. Th- th- these are some of the issues that you look at uh, in 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 your in your classes, right? Uh, yeah, at yeah. Cornerstone. Can you tell us a bit about about what, how how homelessness is featured in some of your classes at Cornerstone? Okay, um, I'll probably you know um, I, try to cut the long story short. Yeah. Um, but let me begin by just giving a bit of background um, mm. about Cornerstone as an institution. Mm. Um, it started in 1970, mm. um, you know, uh, as you know, the Cape Evangelical College, mm. and so it's a it's an institution that is you know deeply rooted in the community. Um, mm. And one of our you know the pillar of our strength is the people, mm. and um, and our principle is that everything that we do actually helps our communities, you know, to develop. Um, and so we are so committed to social justice. Um, so we've got various departments, um, and I'm part of the sociology and community development department. We offer in a wide array of, of courses that focus on development and understanding how society works. Mm-hmm. As society changes and we are, you know, we have many problems, including homelessness. So um, in our courses, um, we look at you know uh, many development indicators, uh, including you know um, you know you know poverty, inequality, mm. and the issue of homelessness always you know uh, come up in many of our courses, uh, in the sense that um, you know many of our students you know are coming from the communities and they use these examples. Mm. So um, for example, I supervised a third year student who did a mini research project on homelessness and she was trying to figure out you know um what are the drivers of homelessness what mm. what, what what pushes people onto the streets mm. and um so that was the first time for me to actually you know supervise a project in the you know uh, um you know um uh, you know, area of you know homelessness. Mm. And it was quite interesting you know uh, to know that actually you know in the in the grand scheme of things, homeless people are sort of, you know, are not, I'm not completely, you know, absorbing homeless people of, you know, personal responsibility. But there are broader structural factors, mm. um, you know, changes in society that are driving, driving homelessness. Mm. So, um, so it's a matter of, you know, striking a balance between, you know, um, the individual factors that contributes to homelessness and the broader structural factors, mm. you know, institutional mm. factors. Mm. So, um, I teach one of the courses uh, called Sociology of Institutions. Um, so in that course, we're looking at, you know, the various social institutions that, um, uh, that are part of this society mm. and institutions such as, you know, the family, right? Um, and I was just, you know, listening, you know, uh, very attentively when uh, Malik Kole was talking about his life story. Mm. And he mentioned one interesting uh, point that, you know, um, he was coming from a broken family. Mm. So the family is, a, you know, the most, you know, fundamental institution has gone, you know, through immense transformation. The nuclear mm. family, which was, you know, uh, you know, uh, mm. you know, the, the dominant the family, family yeah, yes, yeah. is no longer the norm. Mm. 
it's an exception. Mm. Most families are, for example, um, families headed by children who have to look after their young siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, most families are actually headed by you know, single mothers. And mm. then when you look at the labor market participation of women, the economic participation of women, it's, it's, it's sort of you know, on the fringes. Mm-hmm. So it's those conditions mm. that are creating homelessness. Mm. Um, so that's how, you know, the issue of homelessness is actually, you know, a central to what we do, mm. uh, you know, in terms of, you know, teaching, you know, um, and learning. Mm. And we, yeah, we, we actually, you know, uh, look at many other, you know, uh, challenges associated with homelessness. Yes. For example, yes, yes. you know, the transformation in the labor market, mm. right? Mm. Um, the unemployment, mm. which, you know, so it's, it's a complex web of factors that Affects, contributes yeah, yeah. to, to, to yeah. homelessness. Yeah. So, so in most of the courses that we teach, um, you know, homelessness and many other social problems always, you know, uh, you know come to the fore. Yeah. And um, there are many other courses. We do have students who do community development as part of our service learning program. So we don't just yeah. teach students. And, uh, and psychology as well, eh? Yes, and psychology. Uh, Counselling and, exactly. and sort of thing. Yeah. Yes. So they go mm. into communities, um, mm. you know, they work with, you know, our shelters, mm. they work with, you know, community-based organizations, you know, um, and, and, mm. and, you know, even social movements movements and NGOs mm. and, and faith-based organizations. So mm. um, that's why I was saying at the beginning that, you know, we are rooted in our communities. So everything mm. that we do is, you know, um, you know, to make sure that, you know, communities are able to rise above many developmental mm. challenges. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Leo. Thank you. Um, yeah, listeners, so that, that is just so laying the groundwork for the discussion that's uh, going to follow. Um, we have in the studio with us uh, Jean-Ré Nightenfit, uh, who is the director of U-Turn, an organization that uh, works with homeless people to help them get off the street, not in uh, the, the sort of uh, fast track, uh, let's get you off the street and into a shelter type of way, but takes a more holistic and sustainable, uh, longer-term approach, uh, working with people very closely to get their lives back on track and, and, and find new new uh, dreams and ambitions and, and ideals for themselves. For themselves, And also Mali Hole Sekunga, Mali Hole Sekunga, <laughs> who is a UTN graduate and who is a lawyer, who is about a lawyer in training. He's a, That's right. Let's yeah. call it a lawyer in training. <laughs> yeah. You are listening to the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues. Every Thursday, we are taking a deep dive into a topic of great interest uh, with myself, Ryan Fortune, and a, a panel of hosts, guests who come into the studio with me. And we discuss uh, all aspects of a particular topic. This evening, the issue is homelessness. And uh, homelessness uh, in South Africa in particular, uh, and uh, and also in Cape Town, where we are obviously located. Uh, and we are in the studio with... Uh, Jean-Ray Knight and Fit, who is the director of the U-Turn Foundation, U-Turn organization, uh, which deals with uh, people uh, who are trying to get their lives on track, get, get off the streets and, 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 and rehabilitate themselves from, from where they're at, as well as Mali Hole Sekunga, who is a U-Turn graduate, and Leo Mapiri, Mapira, Mapira, who is uh, a lecturer at uh, the Cornerstone Institute. Uh, right now, I want to play a clip, which uh, is a, sort of the audio from a video that I found on YouTube, which is the story of a woman called Bianca, who is 
as someone who has been through the U-turn uh, program, and she uh, sort of tells her story. She, t- she tells her story in the next three minutes, and I thought that uh, it would be very good to hear from, from Bianca and, and get an understanding from her perspective of uh, how life has been and, and where, she's, where she's come from and where she's going. I grew up in an area called Athlon from a staunch Catholic background. I've got five, six brothers and I've got one sister. We didn't come from a very rich background. We actually came from quite a poor background where my parents, you know, they could give us what they could give us. Being 16 years old and being vulnerable and living in an area where gangsterism was high, so was drugs. I got involved with the wrong people. And in that interim, while I was busy doing drugs, um, my father passed on, my mother passed on. I lost all connection with my family. Drugs has a way of robbing you of the relationships and the people that you love. And then one evening I was busy walking down the road in Midfield and I walked up with this guy and he said to me that um, he's given himself to God and um, he wants to introduce me to a place that he knows of, a place called Newton. And I sat there that night with him. I remember it was still in the church called God. I've been doing drugs for so many years and he did. I really want to do this. I, I, I'm tired of feeling me. I was tired of being high. I was tired of what we call the scuttle. I was tired of being deceitful and being being used. That's how I was getting tired of those things. And also what I was tired of was because we so much But I was finding something new. I was introduced to God. Somebody that I forgot to ask for help. Once in my 22 years of my life, I found peace. I could actually start learning the process of forgiving me for the things I'd done and, and for what I was doing to the other people, what I was doing to my children. I'm a supervisor at U-Turn now. My relationship has been built again with my children. It's been built again with my brothers and my sister. I found inner peace with myself. I've learned to become more confident. And everything I do is all in the work of God now. The purpose and the desires of my heart has changed. God said, love each other like I've loved you. You know, to find that, just to find that. And to, to, to absorb the, 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 the gift of forgiveness. And for the younger generation coming through, is to persevere. No matter what challenges come your way, you know what? Just face your challenges here on. Own it. Embrace it. And don't give up. Because God never gave up on us, so why should we give up? That's the story of Bianca, who is a graduate of the Uton program to help people uh, get their lives back on track. Uh, you're listening to the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues uh, on a Thursday evening on Bush Radio 89.5 FM. And we are talking about the issue of homelessness. Uh, in the studio with me, we have uh, Jean-Ray Knightenford. Jean-Ray, I just want to get to the, the question of... Um, 
figures, facts and figures. Uh, a couple of years ago, it's about a year ago now, I, I believe you guys uh, commissioned a, a study uh, looking at the cost of homelessness. And you looked at various factors and uh, put, put these costs together and you came up with um, certain uh, figures that point to the huge expense uh, that that the current approach uh, is, is it requires is uh, you know if if it's not a sort of a long term uh, holistic approach that actually has an impact on the numbers uh, then uh, then it's uh, this huge uh, cost on 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 the the fiscus can you run us through some of those those costs that you have in front of you then <clears throat> yeah the uh, as I said earlier, the number of, of people we believe on this, uh, were on the street, let's say, prior to COVID, and it may, may be much higher now, is about 14,000. Uh, I know that that's also been a controversial figure, um, and the city has debated it, and uh, if we have time, we'll get into that later, why why we believe it's, it's that number. But but um, our studies are based on on that figure, and extensive work we did with over 300 people on the street from various communities, um, as well as research into what was being spent by the courts and, and the, the um, security forces and uh, NGOs, and etc. When we came to this, this figure that it costs about, it costs the city of Cape Town, the people of Cape Town, not, not the city as an institution, uh, combined uh, roughly 4,318 rand um uh, Per person who's living on the street per month, um, so that that figure does not include um, the uh, cost of uh, property devaluation um, or lack of investment or loss of tourism, etc. It's it's really costs spent on directly on punitive responses, um, on gifts to people, um, and on NGO responses. The the, the Vast majority of it being uh, reactive or, or punitive, um, and and only a small amount of it really being humanitarian and or, or a much smaller amount, less than forty percent. So yeah, so just to be clear for our listeners, where uh, when you say punitive, you you're talking about uh, arresting people, uh, arresting putting them, them through the, the court yeah, system, locking yeah. them up, putting all of that costs money. It costs the taxpayer money. It costs the system money. Mm-hmm. All told, that costs about seven hundred and forty-four million rand a year. Um, so, in, to, to the city of Cape Town, that's not nationally. That's that's Cape Town. It's a huge amount of money, uh, almost mm. seven hundred and fifty million. Mm. I, I was I was uh, skimming through through that study, and and one of the things that they talk about is that uh, w- w- when someone is homeless, you are more susceptible. You're more likely to get arrested, uh, obviously, because you're in a sort of uh, you're, you're in this grey zone, and you know you. You you, you sure. may you may be doing crime or, or that sort of thing. Or yeah, it's but about eleven, you're about eleven times more likely to be arrested. arrested. That's our, uh, and you see, it's it's an issue if if I go and sleep in you know take a nap in the in the park uh, at lunch, nobody's going to arrest me. Mm. But if I if I look homeless, I can be arrested for that. Mm. Um, and and there is a. Prejudice against people who are homeless, mm. uh, which which may be very subconscious. People may say, "No, we treat everybody the same," but but you just look at the reality of how much more likely a homeless person is to end up in in prison or being fined, um, mm. Mm. and, and, that, and that, that tells you the story. Yeah, and also uh, health impacts. I mean, it's not it's you you're living out in the cold. You you it's all of those things. 
that yes, are that, 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 that challenge you. If you, I, I think, also you spend longer. If you were to be ever admitted to hospital, you spend uh, f- a few days longer than if you, yeah, because Possibly, you, your, your yes, health is probably compromised. Certainly, there's huge compromising of health, and then because of uh, addiction uh, is is a very real part of street life, uh, and I think you know any of us who've been lived sober lives, you know, most of our lives might look at, at people and say, well, your addiction landed you there. But mm. but what we find is people who land up on the street who have never had an addiction problem, um, who are, you know, pretty straight and they have their lives together, it's not long before addiction sets in. Mm. Because it's part of the way you just cope with, yeah, with, with that life. Mm. And so, yes, health goes down. Your health will go down because of that. You develop all kinds of, of issues and being in the cold. And um, mental health is a, is a big thing. Um, some people end up on the street because of mental health. A lot of people end up with mental health issues because of being on the street. Um, just can't handle the the psychological strain of it. Uh, mm. Constantly in this um, the space of... of um, feeling threatened and and Mm. responding in that way Mm. Uh, you constantly are under threat Um, all of those things come together to just spiral you down very Mm. very quickly Mm -hmm. yeah Um, so what what would you say maybe I'll direct this question to Mali Kola Uh, what what do you think is a more Humanitarian approach that this that, that uh, authorities could take. I mean, what would be the more holistic approach to 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 the issue of homelessness? Uh, f- for me personally, <coughs> sorry, personally, I don't think I would blame the um, the law enforcement officials. I think this starts from the top from the top. There should be some way of of dealing with these issues because homelessness doesn't only start. Oh, obviously, it starts because of people seeing them on the street, but the, that that if it comes way back than that, you know. So if they could, uh, I mean, the lawmakers and stuff like that, uh, they sh- if they could look at it as a more like kind of like a disease or something and try to kind of cure it rather than kind of like um, arresting people, not checking or maybe researching why is this person there, you understand? So if maybe they would look at it in a different way, uh, there's a lot of other things that we we could, I mean, we we would achieve a lot if 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 uh, that's, that's, that's if if we I took a, a more a more you 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 humane approach. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Um, Jean, what, what what was the so you you guys did the study uh, and and what was the response to the study? Mixed responses. There was a lot of interest from a lot of people, and then there was a bit of reaction from. Uh, Certain sectors of the city, um, mm. especially law enforcement, and yeah, disputing the the, the, the yes, figures, the validity yeah. of it. Mm. Um, it's it's been interesting. In some ways, I think there should have been a much much more response than there was. You know, set in in some meetings with officials who sort of dismiss it, mm. um, and also yeah, mixed mixed response. I think mm. what's been great for us is it's. It's been a, a tangible, well-researched um, document. It's been peer-reviewed. It, it wasn't somebody's thumbs thumb like, yeah. There was a number of organisations involved, um, and it, it was it was done very, you know, very academic, uh, academic.
effective yeah. if you sound approach. I, be, I, be, I believe it's the first study of its kind in, in, in South Africa. In South Africa. Uh, certainly Cape Town, I think, in South mm. Africa. But there are other studies that have been done internationally that we... Oh, great. Yeah. yeah, it's it's been great to be able to compare and take the learnings from those. Um, yeah, and they find yeah they find similar kinds of patterns that everybody's different on the street, mm. obviously. Mm. But uh, yeah, for us to to have an actual figure um, and then to have the breakdown of those figures, it's not just the one number; it's it's the different racial demographics that are on the street. The the, the gender breakdown. The, the gender breakdown. Uh, What's different about why women end up on the street versus men? Because there are some differences. For example, women, it's um, largely because of gender-based violence um, and rape and threat, etc. One thing I would like to actually say is um, that that theme of the family that we spoke about earlier, that is the dominant or certainly one of the dominant themes you hear um, very toxic relationships within the family that drive people onto the street. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, a huge driver. Uh, really, I think two things we say, three things, two, two or three things that always come together when somebody lands on the street. One is broken relationships. So when there's, there's a destruction of relationships, mm. the person cannot, their, their social network falls apart. Secondly, their inability to... Um, survive financially, economically. They don't have, mm. have the tools to do that. And then often what comes along with those and um, uh, feeds into that is is a personal dysfunction, so an addiction or a, um, a mental health issue mm. or something like that. So, so the, these create the sort of vicious cycle, cycle of, yeah, yeah. of the different ingre- ingredients that go into the thing. I just want to, um, to talk about the fact. I mean, Uton is um, a, a a Christian-based ministry, so it's actually Uton Ministries, right? And I, yeah, I think, it's registered just as Uton, but you, we yeah. often refer to it as Uton Homeless Ministries. Or, yeah. Okay, so so part of the work you do have sort of a religious uh, aspect to it, and I, it's interesting that you mentioned they get brought the issue of the the family or the absent family, and I'm maybe from from uh, Mali Polis perspective as having come through that program. Do you, and and having gone through the experience of homelessness as a result of a broken family, do you, do you find that they you 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 now have a sort of a a, a new family that, that 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 comes with being and you 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 guys provide people with a sense of family and connection and you know some kind of social social bonding as well that comes with yes. that that helps to. I think it's one of the key things you find. There's many different studies on this and different. Um, uh, theories in terms of psychological breakdown or mental health issues mm. that would say that it, it largely has to do with the breakdown of community or relationships mm. that that drive you to that point. Um, and so the, in dealing with that, a major part of this is to rebuild a sense of community. Mm. Certainly a major emphasis with us, you rebuild your ability to relate to people, um, to find safety in relationships, to be safe in relationships, mm. um, to, to find out what it, what it is to live in a normal kind of relationship, mm. um, not just one-on-one, but within community. So, mm. yeah, big big part of what we do, um, is certainly at the stage that our third phase, because we've got four phases in our program, our third phase is, is very much around um, transitional accommodation mm. uh, and the therapy that goes with that and, and the being in a normal workspace, but people living together in community, cooking together, mm. 
learning what that is, uh, maybe for the first time or relearning it. Mm. Big, big part of recovery. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you, Mali Malikola, about yes. about about the, the, that that side that side of, of of the experience. When you were when you were homeless and, and living on the street, I mean, I I I mean, I always go through life generally when I see someone who's in a situation like that. I remember my I think it could have been my grandfather who always taught taught me this notion of there there but for the grace of God go I. You know, it it could have been me. And therefore, I, I I don't look down on people, but I, I think that a lot of people have a sense of superiority uh, towards homeless people. They think that well, you know, you, there's something wrong with you, and you almost, you know, they they're quite dismissive. Uh, as someone who's, what, what was some of the some of the things that may have happened to you back then in relating to people, the difficulties? How how would people relate to you that that you can maybe speak to about? Uh, sure, you know, it's it's. Even as a as a human, I mean, the, a, a gen, a, a human in general. Yeah. Sometimes they people look at you by the I mean they judge you by way you dress or you look. Mm. Or, but it's even worse when you on the street. You know, you even when you like pass, you're not even begging. On maybe you, you cross the traffic set. I mean, traffic light. People kind of close their windows because the way you look. You know, uh, it's it's tough sometimes. Even when you're sleeping, even the law enforcement they would come maybe with water and pour water onto you. You must wake up. They take your your blankets and you know it's it's it's. it's it's, it's difficult. It's difficult, and I, you know, I, it's it's is the worst thing that could happen to a human being to be on the street. I, I think yeah, there's no there's there's no other way I could put it. You know, it's 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 really it's really yeah, tough because you're, you're you're generally mistreated. Yeah, I mean, some yeah, yeah. everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, rejected, and you know, mm. even if you sometimes it happens, still when you like on the street, you, you you hustle. Maybe you get a spot, you park your cars there. Sometimes people, by the way you speak to them, they start kind of getting you, getting you, get, get, getting they trust you even more mm. than the first time they saw you. So mm. in most cases, if you don't. You can't speak for yourself. Then you you out. You can't really mm. survive there. You know it's mm. tough. So it has to be about the way you communicate with them. They start kind of looking. Oh, maybe this this person is not the way we thought he is mm. or she is. You know they start looking and say, oh, this guy maybe has some level of intellect. Some or something mm. happened mm. somewhere that brought him down to this uh, to the to, the, to, to this level. Yeah. You know, mm. but mm. yeah. Generally, it's 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 tough. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Get judged everywhere, everywhere you go. Some places mm-hmm. you can't even go in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was looking at some of the things, uh, the, the 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 facilities. Uh, I mean, there was a time when you there were public toilets. You could go to the public toilets at the station, or you know, I mean, right now uh, even. I think uh, in place like Sea Point, there's the the bathrooms and the, the toilets. There, but lots of people you just don't have access to the normal amenities that everyone else takes uh, uh, for granted. No shower, no bath. It's always a, a, a mission to sort of you know uh, keep your your hygiene going, and and so people. It's just um, yeah, it's just an awful situation. You were going to mention something, um, Jean Ray, uh, about the programs. Yeah. Oh sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so we have our approaches is really four phases. Mm. The first phase is is when people are on the street and we're interacting with them, and they. So we have service centres that people come into. At the moment, we have uh, in in Claremont, which is our original one, in Mitchell's Plain, and in Musenberg, and 
we do also work in the Fisher to Simonstown area quite intensively. Um, and then with partners in, in other parts of the city, but, but, uh, that's when people, somebody will come off the street, they, their felt need is a meal or, or clothing. And we introduce them into our Ignite program, which helps them to then start to really explore, um, and think about coming off the street. And then when people are at a point when, where they're ready to commit to a longer term process, they go into our phase two, which is, which is a rehab. Uh, process. Um, most people, as I said, on the street are struggling with some kind of substance abuse issues. Uh, not all, but but the vast majority. So that becomes a really critical point of getting sober. But as I think we we all know, it's not just kicking the habit in three months for anybody who's on drugs or, or using substances. It's really uh, the, the the habits that have to change, the ways of thinking that have to change. Uh, and so generally a, a short a short rehab program on its own is not enough. And so they're moving to then our phase three, which is then transitional accommodation. That's kind of the long haul. That's usually about 18 months that then work, they work in one of our workspaces, mostly shops. We have eight shops, but we have various other uh, workspaces. And then they get a stipend and they learn merchandising and stock control and customer relations and, uh, you know, when you first let them, the guys use the till and they're like, but I, but I stole stuff before and I was put in prison for that. Well, now we're trusting you. Mm-hmm. And so, so those, those things become really important and they get to a point where at the same time they're doing therapy with our multidisciplinary team. We've got a number of occupational therapists, social workers and, and other professionals. And they then get to a point where they say, okay, um, this guy, this girl, is now ready to move on and then they start to look for um, their own accommodation and long-term employment. And we don't drop them at that point. We wait until they are stable and in the in employment and, and have a place to stay. And then the phase four is, is really just the aftercare. It's something we're developing now more deliberately. How do we support people better after they've returned to normal society, if you like, because there are things which will, those nightmares that will sort of rear their, their ugly heads and, uh, and that. Uh, but that, through that four phases, what we find is that those who graduate at the end of phase three, uh, we have, um, an over 80% success rate of those that remain sober employed and, um, in brick and mortar accommodation. So, uh, a very good success rate. But what we've also found is if, if people drop off earlier, so we'll often have people that they've moved into phase three, they've done a bit of work experience, they've done a little bit of personal work on themselves and they feel, oh, I've been doing this for three, four, five months, I'm good, I'm fine. And they say, I've got a job now with my cousin's brother's uncle or whatever, and they move out. Only about 20% of people who, who do not complete the program mm. six months later are still sober employed and... Um, Mm. and house mm. so that really speaks to the importance of the long-term journey doing the work changing the patterns of thinking and then kind of coming out as a as a different person mm, mm, mm. How, how was that experience for you Mali, Mali how long did it take you 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 said you encountered the U-turn in 2008 2008 yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> i don't know was it straightforward expensive. or you Yes, yes. Our program uh, at the time, I think it was six months, and then there were uh, 
I don't have actual figures, but we, after that six months, we did some like working outside, more like helping the even Fuleni, those places with mm. habitat and uh, humanity. Habitat for humanity, for yeah. humanity, mm. we help build uh, houses. Uh, build houses there. It's more like kind of... And volunteer work, yeah. yeah. yeah mm. You know, getting back into into the community, but by giving back, you know, uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's how it was. Uh, yeah, but at the time it might not have been maybe that, maybe longer than maybe, let's say, 12 months, maybe mm. 8 months, mm. 12 months or so. Mm. Yeah. And tell me about your 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 family, your 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 the the broken family that you were referring to. How, how did they did they accept you back, or did they, what what happened to it? Yeah. Oh, let me first uh, uh, clarify. Uh, when I meant when I said broken family, it's not m- uh, more immediate family. Yeah. Because, like uh, I've been raised by my father, my mother. My, my father passed away when I was doing great grade 10 mm. so that's years back oh, and you said you came from the yeah. so I was I was raised by a single mother and then I, when I uh, I failed my metric I had even before when I was going to write my metric I knew that I just doing this to go and look for a job to support my mother but at the same time I don't have a sister anyway I don't have anyone to mm. go to you know so these close relatives mm. where you sometimes when you maybe move from Joburg from Eastern yes, Cape you yes, go yes. there and sit and stay, stay there yeah, yeah. you happen to not to be you know it's not a good environment for yes, you yes, you understand yes. when it's not what you want to do mm. the, the things that they do it's not what you want to do it's mm. not what you came for yeah. and you see the values are not uh, you know uh, the, same, the yeah. same but at the same time you can't move out because mm. there's nowhere to go. You don't have financial support. I mean, mm. to start your own, maybe your own shack or wherever, yeah, yeah. stay alone and do your own thing. You know, it's things like those. Mm. And, uh, you know, but now what I told myself is uh, I wanted also to tap in when um, Yandre um, talked about the um, the aftercare after mm. uh, you've been finished, you're finishing the program. So the other thing that is the, was good, or is always good with you 10 day, you were more like starting a family away from your family, you know. Mm. There's a lot of network when most of the people that graduate there, you know, they have their, they start their own families more like people who are close to U10, who believe in U10. Mm. Some of them see, oh, these successful, success stories, you understand. Mm. So, 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 me, so, so it becomes a big support network exactly, for you exactly. getting back into, yeah. That's correct. So for me, even now, I just sometimes think maybe it was God's way, God created that my life to go this way, you understand, end up mm. in the streets and get, you know, not necessarily that I like be, having been in the streets, but mm. it seems to me it was... It was a, there was a bigger there plan. Was a papers, you know, yeah, there was a plan mm-hmm. to, to to go this way. You understand? Yeah, yeah. Even if I, I wouldn't have met, uh, not have been on the streets, I don't think I would have had my bachelor of laws now and the mm. people that are behind me now. You know, even mm. when I'm I'm not working now, I'm looking mm. for a job to I mean to to do my articles. But still, mm. the very people that I uh, I met through Uten mm. are still behind me. You understand? Mm-hmm. You know, in every thing that I do mm-hmm. yeah fantastic so, amazing yeah. amazing yes uh, ladies and gentlemen this is the cornerstone critical dialogues that you're listening to we're talking about the issue of homelessness uh, very interesting conversation that we're having into a very critical topic that uh, we uh, we as a society need to work together towards uh, finding solutions 
and uh, doing something about it and bringing the numbers down because it, it, cannot, it cannot be that so many people are living on the streets without, without care, without a shelter, without uh, food and, and having to beg to get from one day to the next. Uh, uh, we're in the studio talking about homelessness in Cape Town and wider. Uh, we know that it is a pressing problem in the city. It doesn't seem to be uh, getting any better. Uh, every, uh, every, everywhere you look, people living on the streets in uh, unsafe, unhygienic conditions. Um, and um, really, I think uh, the, 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 the approach of, of uh, the city officials may be not as, uh, as uh, uh, well thought through as it could be. Uh, lots of uh, community organizations, NGOs working to counter a problem that uh, doesn't seem to be getting better, providing services to people who have, uh, for some reason or another, found themselves living on the streets. Um, and so, but, but no one really seems to want to really want to solve the problem. Let, let's be honest about it. I mean, that, that's the kind of feeling that I get. I, I, I'm going to just go, go with what I feel because the thing is that uh, when you see this problem getting worse and worse, it seems to be. I mean, there are solutions. There are there are interventions that that people could take. There are lessons that could be learned from other parts of the world. Um, but either people either lack the vision or the will to actually undertake. I think I, I would guess the hard work that it actually takes. As you say, it's not a quick fix uh, thing to get someone off the street and 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 stay off the street. Um, so so the the sort of quick fix mentality that we have doesn't seem to lead to longer term solutions and, and actually seems to be, yeah, I mean, the, the problem seems to be uh, remaining. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere and, and, and that's really uh, problematic, I think. Um, Leo Mapiri, Leo Mapira from Cornerstone, you, you had some questions for our guests. Uh, this yes, um, so my first question is um, I want to Fully, I want to fully understand the, you know, the, the extent of this problem of homelessness. Um, the figures by the city of Cape Town, the official figures, say that you know um, there are about six thousand homeless people in Cape Town, and we obviously excluding you know, um, you know, the effects of the pandemic. And the report by, um, by uh, what's his name the. The lead researcher? Uh, John Hopkins. Yes, John Hopkins. Um, the study that was uh, sponsored by U10 and other sister organizations. Um, you know, it's, it's a very good report. I looked at the methodology. Um, it's very, uh, you know, academic. And um, it estimates the number of homeless people at 14,000. And that's a huge disparity from the official figures. And... Um, so the challenge for me, um, you know, I'm trying to reconcile these figures and say the figures by the city of Cape Town are very conservative. So if the programs by the city, you know, the programs in response to homelessness were based on that understanding of the, you know, problem of, of homelessness, 6,000 people living on the streets, is this not, this is a question to you, uh, um, you know, Jean Ray? Is this not an indication of, you know, um, the ineffectiveness of the programs that are being implemented at the moment? Because it's based on, 
you know, numbers that are very conservative, that are not, you know, we've, it seems like we've not done justice to to the problem of homelessness. We underestimate. Yes. I, I think certainly a number of factors there. One is, yes, if we think there's 6,000, we will respond a little bit differently to if we think there's 14,000. Um, at the same time, I would say if there's 6,000 people on the street and there are 3,000 shelter beds and you say there are enough shelter beds, you didn't pass maths for my trick or, or even, you know, <laughs> grade seven. Probably. Yeah. You know, it, does, it doesn't take much to see that there's not enough. I think you have to be fairly blind to see that the problem has escalated to a point that it is it is chronic. It is it is discouraging tourism. It is affecting business. It is a, it's a it's a big deal. Um, I, so I'm not always sure why you know why there's this harsh response. I do think a lot of the problem is the wrong approach. So the. The, there's only, I, I looked it up now, there's 16% of money that's spent on homelessness is spent on developmental type of programs. So a very small percentage is actually used to help people get off the street. Slightly bigger number that may be spent on uh, humanitarian approaches, which would be food and blankets, etc., but doesn't help people get off the street. So mm. the vast majority of, of what's being spent is, is being spent on either reactive uh, in terms of punitive or reactive, in terms of kind and helpful, but not really doing anything. So until that shifts, the, the problem's going to remain. Mm. That's one side. Another side, I think, is this, and and you would know this, in this space, it just pulls people with a savior complex, savior mentality who, who want to show, I've done something good. And so it becomes often in, in the developments, uh, well, the... Poverty response space is full of a lot of people, and not to paint everybody with the same brush, but a lot of people who want to show that they're doing something important and their own little kingdom and empire becomes incredibly important. Mm. And so that militates against collaboration, and yet we need collaboration because different NGOs bring different skills and different they're in different spaces. We need the city to stop trying to score, or not the city, certain people, Mm. Um, to stop trying to score political points, and this is this is not. I, I wouldn't want to pin this on the DA or the ANC. This is mm. just people, mm. um, just just human beings, mm. um, and and then saying, you know, I set this up or I said that. Rather to say, can we, if we could develop one citywide strategy? And I was involved in in two thousand four, I think it was with with the mayoral. Um, Strategy around street children. In fact, I think the last time I spoke on Bush Radio was at that time um, on that strategy. Mm. It was a very good strategy that pulled a lot of role players into one focused effort and had a big impact. It didn't solve the problem, but it had a big impact on the problem. And I think if we could do that with the adult homeless crisis we have at the moment, we would get much, much further. Mm. Again, common approach, working together, putting the strengths of different people together, not worrying about so much. Uh, obviously, every organization needs to promote itself and its work because that's how you get funds. But at the same time, um, trying to work together in a way which is collaborative rather than um, personal empire or, or yeah, yeah. Um, 
building or a sense of um, I do this because I, I get a sense of worth out of it, rather mm. to see the bigger picture of it. Mm. Uh, uh, in 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 uh, from a sort of a, a someone who's let's say a homeowner or someone who's uh, who's concerned about homeless people uh, and 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 uh, maybe the, concerned in a sort of a charitable way. Or concerned about um, you know maybe your property values of are falling because the the people are li- living outside your house or that sort of thing. Um, from from the one perspective, people often say, "Well, don't give people food, don't give people money, don't uh, you know if they're begging for money or they want something, don't don't give it. Rather, give it to a shelter. Is is that the right pr- approach to 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 have if you are just someone?" Who is confronted Again, with this problem on the, on, yes. on the street level? Again, I wish it. I wish it was simple. Um, and when we're confronted with somebody in need, the, the 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 response of any good person is to try and meet the need. At the same time, part of what pulls people into not part the major thing that pulls people from from the places they come from onto the streets is because it becomes viable to live on the streets. You mm. can make more money there. Then you can make back home, and and so you feed the problem mm. if you enable it. At the same time, we have a just a human duty to care for people. Mm. The answer really is to have enough services to to actually um, therapeutically and rehabilitatively work with people to to bring them to a place of of stability and mm. sobriety and, and independence. Mm. And then to, dare I say, to choke off all the things that enable them to stay on the street and to make it easy for them to move into a rehabilitative process. We Mm. found this at the beginning of the lockdown. Everybody was at home, um, locked away, very few people outdoors, and then suddenly lots of people who've been living on the street for a long time come and they say, we need help. Help us. Mm. Why do they, they come seeking help? Because... There's been a choking off of the normal streams of, of income, of income etc. Well. Mm. But then, of course, as soon as the lockdown eased and those streams of income came back, some of those people were saying, actually, I'm okay now. I'd, I'd rather stay on the street. So mm. th- that's the cold, hard reality of it. Um, it is better. It is better to provide... You know, we have a voucher system at U-Turn. So mm. we, we would say to people... Don't give money to somebody directly. Buy a pack of vouchers, U-turn vouchers, and give somebody at the robot uh, a voucher. Mm. And if they don't know what to do with it, you tell them where, the, where U-turn is or there's a map on the voucher and they go because there they can get the meal that they need, they can get the clothes that they need, but more importantly, they're introduced to the journey or the pathway out of homelessness. So they then come into contact with people who are actually qualified, able, experienced, and want to help them get out of homelessness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Jean-Louis, can you, can you uh, so pe- people who want to uh, support the work that you're doing can obviously go to the website and, and see the, the various ways they can support uh, the work that you're doing. They can, they can buy vouchers, uh, mm-hmm. I believe, and they can also donate to the organization yes. and, and they can donate clothes and food and all those kinds of things. What else can they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people, the first donation they'll ever make to us will be clothes or they're clearing out their garage and they've got some stuff. We take furniture, we take, obviously in reasonable condition. Mm. 
um, yeah, and we sell those things. Some some of that goes directly to to people who are on the street. Mm. Some of that gets sold in our shops. Um, the, the shops, of course, just just to add in here, is is not so much about making money for U-turn. It's about creating a work environment, a working space for people who are on the program. So, so if you go into a U-turn shop, um, all all the people on the floor and many of the managers as well have come through the program, mm. or they're on the program if mm. they're on the floor. Mm. Um, you meet somebody who was on the street three months ago, and. Uh, and this is this is part of helping them get off the street. So yes, um, donations of clothes and 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 furniture and bric-a-brac and that kind of thing. Obviously, financial donations. We we always looking for people who will fund us on a monthly basis. Mm. Commit to hundred rand a month, five hundred rand a month, thousand mm. rand, whatever mm. people can afford. Um, obviously, business owners and. Um, churches. We're looking for partnerships there. Uh, so often we can, you know, we can take people in as volunteers or, or, or provide volunteer opportunities. Mm. And at the same time, we'd partner in, in ways that would help people with their BEE and that kind of thing. Mm. So yes, many ways to support us. Um, and uh, I would always say, I always say that the important thing as well is to get engaged with the issue of homelessness, to Talk to people, wind down your window, don't wind up your window. I know mm. my, certainly my son gets upset with me whenever I see a homeless person, whether I've got a voucher or I've got money or I don't, wind down the window so I can have a conversation. Mm. Just have a conversation with people, get, get to know people and get, uh, get in touch, get your heart in touch with, with the issue of homelessness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Amazing work that you guys are doing there. Uh, and also, I mean, lots of other people in the space as well that I know. I think, I believe Streetscapes has a quite an innovative program around food gardening or teaching mm-hmm. people how to grow food, um, which is something that I've always been quite passionate about. And so, skilling people with sort of practical skills yes. to be able to... I think, you know, there are a number of, of great organizations. Can I just go back one step? Yeah, yeah. Um, that... The, the obvious, if, if you're looking for our website, it's actually homeless.org.za. The obvious thing to look up is uturn.org.za, yeah. but it's actually homeless.org.za. Mm. Um, yes, other organizations, we have a very good working relationship with Streetscapes. Mm. Uh, they work a lot in the space with addiction. They have some innovative ideas and with the housing first model, which is really trying to put people into accommodation uh, first. Um and we, we're in constant dialogue. What's working mm. for you? What's working for us? Mm. MESS is another one, a Johannesburg-based organization. And U-Turn is in, in the process of, at the moment, of looking towards expansion into Joburg. So I was there two weeks ago, meeting tomorrow with the MESS CEO mm. again, who's, who's, who's down in Cape Town. Uh, we have a great working relationship with, with them. And, uh, and then, you know, New Hope and um, mm, mm. a number of other organizations, um, Hope Exchange in, in Cape Town, um, many organizations that we have good working relationships with. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, I, I was looking, I was reading something today about, uh, the, someone sent me a, a story about uh, something that they're doing in San Francisco. I believe it's in San Francisco. It could be San Francisco and somewhere in the United States in a coastal coastal city where they they basically taken a decommissioned cruise liner uh, and turned it into or there was a plan I think there was a plan before covid 
and they were going to take this ship, which is obviously a cruise ship, and they were going to use it to house, uh, give people accommodation, homeless people, to try and deal with the with the the, the growing problem there. And then obviously COVID happened, and uh, I think people squashed the idea. They thought it was just too too out there, and and and. And then COVID happened, and then a couple of months later, there was a ship that had been cruising in the Caribbean, and half the half the crew and staff uh, had COVID, and it came to dock in the city, and basically became this ship of stranded people living in, living on the, in this place where they, they had this idea. I mean, I've seen also like uh, other ideas where they've had uh, people have built. Um, um, Tiny home villages for people, you know, sort of prefab homes in the city, in the inner city, and becomes a sort of space which is, a, a, I guess, a, a better type of situation than living in under, you know, under a bridge in tarpaulin and mm. with cardboard. Um, and so I think that I think there's lots of the interventions that could be done that we are not even thinking about, you know. And, and I really think that the, it's time for, as you say, the city to to people in the city or people who have an interest in the topic to come together and sit down around a table and actually look at the various ways that we we we, we can solve this problem because uh, it's not going away it's not getting not mm-hmm. getting better and uh there it's you know if if we all come together uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe Cornerstone could do something in this regard uh, as well. Maybe to convene some, something, uh, Leo. Don't you think? Um, and bring bring everyone around the table. You know, that could be something that that the Cornerstone spearheads, because um, it, it it these are challenging times. And I think I mean with COVID, is especially now, people the people have lost their jobs. There's lots more strain on families and their finances and. Things seem to be not going in the right direction. The economy is put in the doldrums. Tourism still hasn't picked up, and so it's it's just going to get worse unless we get a lot more creative and collaborative and and, and come really together to to solve these problems. Did you have another question, Leo? Yeah, I think actually you have quite a number of questions. You go Maybe for I it. I should ask them. Um, ask them directly. Okay. All right. Um, but I'll probably ask the questions um, firstly I'll ask the questions that I've just jotted down now as you were you know, um, speaking to Sean uh, Ray um, the question about you know uh, international best practice in terms of you know dealing with homelessness um, that's something that I was expecting from the report but I understand that the report had is you know specific objectives mm. but maybe you know if we were to do more research in, in you know in terms of trying to find out um, how do we respond effectively to the challenge of uh, homelessness um, let's look at international best practice I know um, um, he has just um, mentioned that you know um, yes in San Francisco you know the the idea to turn a, a whole cruise ship into, you know, um, you know, um, accommodation for homeless people. That's, you know, amazing. Uh, I've also read, um, but I don't know if probably I need to do more research on that, um, you know, how, you know, in German they actually, you know, um, because there were, there were a lot of houses, right, um, you know, owned by property developers, uh, houses uh, that had no people. Right, like people is houses. Mm-hmm. Like maybe use that term, right? Well, it's on the other end of the spectrum. You have you know a lot of people with no accommodation. So the government had to take you know a very tough decision to you know uh, to convert such houses into low cost houses for the homeless. Mm-hmm. So there is quite a lot to learn from many countries in terms of you know how to deal with homelessness. Um, maybe 
can I make a suggestion that if we are going to do research, let's maybe look at that and see if we can learn um, from other you know, uh, countries or other communities how they've managed to rise above the problem of homelessness. Um, then can, I, can I respond on that? Yes. You know, I think it's something where there, there has been research done, but not enough. And we're very, looking very deliberately at the moment at developing a research, uh, research and development arm. Uh, obviously, we've done some of our own research like cost of homelessness, but being more deliberate about it and using it to guide strategy. So we're very interested in, in that uh, discussion. And obviously, we want to partner with academic institutions like Cornerstone. If I can say as well, though, what we have to realize is the, although there are commonalities with homelessness, they're also distinctives, um, and they're, they're very distinct. There's, there's a very distinct um, context in South Africa, which is different to Germany, for instance. Um, the European, the, the the model that's very popular or sp- spoken about popularly at the moment is the housing first model, which says you put people into into housing. Um, now that has been experimented with in in South Africa. You give people housing, and what happens? They tend to sell the house and move back on the street. That, that's been a common issue. We we have a shortage of about four hundred thousand houses in the city, um, in Cape Town. Uh, just uh, just say that figure again. Uh, about four hundred thousand houses. Mm. I'm, I'm mm. quoting something I heard yeah, this morning. Yeah. Um, now, what will happen if we start giving houses to people who are living on the street? Is you will suck more people onto the street in order to get the houses. Mm. I mean, I've seen this in KZN where I've worked for 14 years where, where, the, where the government would set up temporary housing structures um, while people are waiting for RDP houses. And people flood into those temporary structures. They'll leave better homes to stay there because they know I'm now in line for a house. That's not a simple solution to the South African um, situation. In fact, it could well be an aggravating Factor. The the other thing is, this is what we're very strong on, is this: the issue is not housing alone. Housing is an accommodation is an important factor, but the psychosocial issues that have gone along with it and is is perhaps the bigger factor. Um, so we do see major shortages of accommodation for the homeless, and I think that has to be addressed, and we need funds for it. A city has to step in. There are buildings that can be used, but in terms of a pure housing first model, which is the European dominant model at the moment, I, I don't think it's sufficient. And as I say, where, where it's been used in South Africa, it hasn't been, let's say, nearly as effective as people expected. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much for that. Um, then this, I, I noticed that you know um, the report you know sort of you know um, you know provides us with an understanding of different categories of homeless people and there's what is referred to as chronic homelessness mm. so um this is a category of homeless people who have been on the streets um for more than a year yes. usually you know are engaged in substance abuse and uh they have mental issues and from the report from the survey it's 50% of the homeless people and uh, also the average number of years they've been on the streets is about eight, almost, mm, eight, almost nine uh, years. Right? Eight and a half, almost eight, nine, I think yeah. it's 8.7 years, something like that. Yes. I'll check. Um, for me, that's, that's, that's an indication that we're dealing with a huge problem. Mm, 8.6 years, like, you know, Homelessness is sort of a revolving door. You know, people are on and off 
distress. Yeah, the issue of chronic homelessness, we have one of the highest rates of chronic homelessness in the world in, in Cape Town. The fact that you know, 8.6 years, average time, somebody who's on the street has been on the street is is just crazy. You know, once you've been there, we, we use that... that um, figure of a year as as a, as a line. It's a sort of an international understanding once you've been on the street for a year and you have a mental health issue or you have a substance abuse issue, you're pretty much in a state that you can't get yourself off. And so and there are exceptions of course, but that's, that's the dominant understanding. So we call those people chronically homeless. And in other cities that number, that percentage is, is sometimes relatively small. In Cape Town it's yeah, more than 50%, about 50% of people, um, which means that, again, short-term simple solutions, let's give everybody a job for six months and then they'll be fine, just doesn't work. Doesn't work, work in, in Cape Town. So the Cornerstone Critical Dialogues, uh, ladies and gentlemen, listeners at home, wherever you are, this wonderful Thursday evening. It's a warm night in Cape Town. It's been a very a busy news week uh, in, in, in South Africa. We heard uh, earlier that uh, F.W. de Klerk passed away, the former uh, president uh, of South Africa, in the, the last president of the previous dispensation. Uh, also, the, the, the Moti... The Moti uh, uh, Siblings were found have been found after three weeks of being after being kidnapped three weeks ago on their way to school. They were found, and so that's good news for their parents and families uh, welcoming them back home. Apparently, they're all in good spirits and in good health. So we obviously going to be waiting to hear exactly what happened to them these past three weeks, where they were. We everyone wants to know exactly what happened to them, uh, and that should be coming out in the next while. And uh, yeah, South Africa, complicated country that we live in, uh, very, 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 uh, uh, very intractable problems. It sometimes seems that we face, and uh, we, we we find uh, amazing organisations like U-Turn who are trying to do the good work that is required, the good and the hard work that's required to solve them. Uh, it's been great trying to get to the bottom of the issue of homelessness in in Cape Town and in South Africa, and the, the many challenges that that people face who live on the street, and the, also the people who are trying to help them uh, get off the street, and 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 also I guess from the the side of officialdom, uh, who sometimes uh, we we may not like their approach. It often comes across as quite inhumane. We try to get someone in the, in the studio from uh, from town planning from city town planning because I had wanted to uh, bring in the, the issue of um, what uh, let's call it for want of a better word spatial apartheid uh, the fact that the city as it uh, was designed uh, in by the old uh, previous uh, regime was designed to uh, keep people uh, people of color on the outskirts uh, that's quite evident still today these uh, these demarcations may not be uh, on the town planning documents but the the, the legacy of uh, apartheid is still quite evident in where people live and uh, the access that they have to the city um, and uh, yeah so the, 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 I think there's been uh, in the last few years uh, 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 quite a few building occupations in the city there's a place with various uh, reclaim the city and Difuna quasi organizations like that that have actually taken a stand against the, 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 the lack of affordable housing close to where people where people are, where the, their jobs available I would 
guest. Do you, do you find that this is this factor is also quite a challenge for the work that you you guys are doing, uh, Jean Ray? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, often we think we can solve the problem with a little job, yeah, and there's organisations that are great with with finding employment opportunities for somebody on the, who's on the street. Um, and sometimes that actually acts as an aggravating factor because people will move in to the city to get that work, but there's nowhere that they can afford to stay. And so they'll sleep under the bridge. Mm. Um, it's it, right at the beginning of, of the, of the process. It's an issue. And for us, again, right at the end, it's, it's one of the, one of the obstacles to people graduating from our program. I think, yeah, I think of, uh, of a conversation I had with one of our, our champs, one of the guys on the on the program, a few months ago, and he, he was just very honest. He said, "Often we just we we delay our recovery because we're afraid of what's at the other end. Um, when we leave, we have to get a job and a house, and we don't know how how we'll get a job, and we don't know how we'll get a place we can live. And I've had conversations with a number of of companies about how do we actually guarantee jobs for people who are exiting our program because when you've got a criminal record or you have a, a history of substance abuse, people don't want to employ you. And there are options. But you're going to earn 5,000 rand a month, maybe 6,000 rand a month, and you've probably got children that have been taken away from you or, or you, you can't see and you want to reunite your family. Mm. And then where are you going to live? Mm. Uh, because you can't, you can hardly afford to travel in. You know, it's this this complexity. So we're also looking at social housing options. Um, how can we actually create job opportunities and accommodation opportunities that are that are close enough to the to the work so that mm. you can survive? Mm. It's a it's just a huge challenge, and this, it all goes together. Mm-hmm. I mean, people. Yeah, I mean, people. Uh, people spending. I mean, if you live far from where you work, it's uh, you have to spend a huge amount of money on just your transport, you know, and waking and up early. I think nationally, it's something like about uh, people spend, or certainly people from poorer communities, township communities, are spending about a third of their income on average on on transport. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have another question, Leo? Yes, um, but the question is a bit long and winding. I'll try to make it as clear as as possible. So um, there are two pillars of the you know, um, city's response to um, you know, homelessness. One is around you know, law enforcement. You know, we have the bylaws that you know, it's called what the you know, our streets and public uh, places um, bylaw, which has just been, you know, uh, um, um, I think they updated it last year. Was it last year? Yes, um, very recently been. Yes, yes. Um, so the focus has been on you know, policing you know, homeless people, surveillance of homeless people. And then the other pillar of their response is the shelter, you know, providing, you know, temporary shelter and then, you know, linking, you know, homeless people with many other services from health, rehabilitation, you know, jobs, you know, with the EPW program and so forth. But the sense that I get from the report, this approach to, you know, to responding to homelessness is expensive it's costly right um this is why we we you know the report is saying that we're spending about you know 744 million mm-hmm. per year on homelessness right um 
what I don't see from the report, and actually the report, you know, mentioned that, you know, um, you know, they didn't do, you know, sort of, you know, um, a cost analysis, you know, comparing different, you know, kind of, you know, interventions to see which one is the most, mostly, you know, uh, if effective in, in mm. terms of cost. So, um, do you have any suggestions or any knowledge of any, uh, you know, kind of, you know, approach to homelessness that is, you know, less costly that we could maybe, you know, start, you know, entertaining and see if it's, if it's working, you know, you know, we sort of maybe pilot it? Uh, yes. Um, I, I think one thing which is important to say is because if we have 14,000 people on the street, then we have 14,000 reasons for being on the street. We have 14,000 individuals. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. And there's some people that can be helped enormously well through the shelter system. Um, there's some people, maybe even the law enforcement. I, I think law enforcement has, has a place if it's done properly. Um, but I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I, I do think that a coordinated approach is important and a, a human-centric approach, which sees each person as an individual and says, we're not just putting you into a sausage machine. We recognize perhaps all you need right now is an EPWP job. But for somebody else, that's not going to cut it. Uh, I've, I've had lots of experience with EPWP. Uh, maybe you have too. Um, if you get a job for six months, even a year on a, on a minimum salary, you, you then can't come back onto the EPWP program. You're back where you started. You haven't, it might have helped some people, but for the vast majority, they're back where they started. They are no more sustainable. Uh, and it's, it's that, that old thing. If you buy a tool that doesn't do the job, uh, you know, you, you buy a, you buy a drill that's too cheap and it breaks. Um, then you have to buy another one and that one breaks. Until you actually buy one that that uh, that's strong enough to drill into the concrete or whatever you're trying to do, and so if we try cheap solutions constantly, um, we find we're just repeating and repeating and repeating. Um, I do think U-turn has a has a really good approach. So obviously, I'm I'm batting for that approach. What I would like to see the city do, and NGOs collaborate around, is a proper pathway. And there may be some some elements. We've got our four steps as we look at it constantly and evaluate it. We go, is there something else we need to put in? But I think there needs to be a graded accommodation approach. So more more accessible safe spaces. The city's done some good things with putting in safe spaces as they have. Um, but they need to be in more communities. In in Claremont, where our, our which is close to our head office, um, and where our oldest center service center is, you've got people sleeping all the way along the side of the street. You can you can say go to Kulumborg, go to one of the other safe spaces. They're not because that's where the community is and that's where their income is. We need something in Claremont. Uh, we need something in Weinberg, etc., and in Mitchell's Plain that will. That will help with with that phase, and we need a and we need a collabor collaboration. You turn can't do everything. We need other organisations to run these. Then we need we need better rehabilitation facilities. Increasingly, re rehabilitation is it's becoming a bottleneck for us, especially with heroin addiction on the rise, and it's sharply rising. And you need inpatient treatment for for heroin addiction, and the city has 
responses like the matrix, which is great for outpatient, but it's not really helping with heroin. So there, there's a shortage there. There needs there needs to be a, a stepping into that space, and then there needs to be more transitional housing, and then I think. Uh, and, and more work opportunities and then work opportunities created for people who are exiting long-term sustainable work opportunities and then along with that social housing. Now there's lots of money, uh, I'm rushing through, there's lots of money and lots of resources that have been put into social housing and lots of those social housing uh, projects have been badly run and have, have gone down. What I would like to see is where people have come through a proper rehabilitative process and kind of have the stamp from professionals who are working with them to say, this person is a good, solid person. Put those people ahead of the queue into into social housing. Use it properly. Don't, it's not money under the table. You can get a space because I'm your friend or because you gave me a bribe. Or, and I don't, I don't know all the ins and outs of how that works, and I don't mean to accuse anybody. But I have seen it fail miserably. And I, again, if we can just get a proper pathway and then people can exit at any point that they're ready. That's fine. But to know this is where we start. What does accommodation look like in the space? What does work look like in the space? What does therapy look like in the space? And how do you move through until you really are solid and, and stable? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jean Ray. That the, the, yeah, that sounds like a, a very comprehensive uh, approach, and it's sort of uh, yeah. And let's let's hope that uh, there are people out there listening to the show this evening and are taking heed, and uh, even people from from uh, the, the city, the government, uh, who, who may have uh, some some kind of influence, uh, should take up the the challenge of, of of homelessness in a in a in a in a better way than 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 to date. Um, Mali Mali Hola, what, what does the future hold? for you uh, at this point in your life you, you've now come through the program where are you at uh, what, do, what does your future look like hey, uh, now you know what I can say uh, the future is bright you know uh, there's uh, there's no going back now mm. yeah, and, yeah, I've got my law degree and backup of some experience five years experience in the legal <coughs> environment so for now it's just to get that opportunity to, to do my articles and from there there mm. we go there's no going back uh, mm. become a, a lawyer very mm. soon so mm. the only mm. thing now is what, what kind of lawyer are you talking about you want to be a commercial lawyer is that just, no, what, what, is the, what, what is the field you no, I've, I, I don't. I, I don't want to box myself. Yeah. yeah. And so, as uh, for me, I would love to start from from the court, you know, mm. courtroom, and get out there. But for personal, personal, that I would love to be in a commercial kind of space. So, mm-hmm. but I would like to, in order for you to be good in that space, you need to get. I mean the the, the experience, yeah, of being in order for you to be able to advise businesses yeah. and all all these other people. You yes, know? so yes, the start is in the courtroom for me. Yeah, yeah. So okay, for now, I'm, I'm I'm aggressively pushing for job hunting for uh, any mm-hmm. law firm that could give me that opportunity to yeah to, mm-hmm. to do my articles. Fantastic. But, but I'm faithful, so I've it's going to happen for you. A lot, you know. Yeah, yeah. For now, this is just minor stuff for me. See, I just have to be, you know, to pu- keep pushing and mm-hmm. get there. So, yeah, amazing. Fantastic. Uh, so, if, listeners, if you're out there and you have a, you know, someone who has a law firm and you've got us uh, articles going, uh, please uh, give us a call and get in touch with. They can get in touch with Uten and get in touch with Malikola. Either way, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
Okay. We'll pass them on. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Maybe Fantastic. Uh, amazing, guys. Uh, listening to, uh, we're talking about the issue of homelessness. We're almost at the end of the show right now. Um, I think we are going to end it there. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for uh, contributing, for saying your piece, for sharing your story with us and for giving us new hope uh, in these times for how we could uh, deal with these issues and deal with this this very seemingly intractable problem that uh, plagues our city and not only our city but other cities across the country as well. 200,000 people living on the streets of South Africa, one of the most mineral-rich countries in the world. I think it's second in the world when it comes to platinum was a figure I saw today. And so it's absolutely shocking that we still have, uh, we have this, this kind of uh, problem of homelessness and poverty, deep inequality that still plagues our country. We need something different. We need to make a change. Um, and uh, right now we're going to take a break. Uh, our song that we're going to play out with, uh, I think you may also like. Uh, some people, someone wrote uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago said that we, we like the music you play on your show, and so uh, I, I try to sort of always reach that standard. I try to get that kind of reaction still from people. My name is Ryan Fortune, and I'll be back with you next week. Stay tuned for uh, the Community Champions afterwards, uh, and uh, I'll see you guys next week. We're going to be talking about the issue of waste in South Africa, waste management. We're going to have to leave it there. Hope to see you next week, right here.